0: Okay. Hey, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you. A little preview of what's coming up later on. For our inbox, we have a girl who's working a very stressful job as an ICU nurse, and she's kind of wondering, is it time to make a change? Uh, Really, what should she be doing in light of her career? So our friend and counselor, Easton Coleman, is going to join us to offer some helpful tips And then for our culture, Pastor David Marvin from Watermark Community Church and The Porch is here for part two of our conversation on finding peace in a world that runs on anxiety. Be sure to stick around for that. Well, here we are for our roundtable. And for this, we're going to talk about, I mean, we're in the middle here of November Um, heading to or if if we're not already in full swing of the holiday season and I think a lot of us uh, you know have to reckon with Thanksgiving (laughs) Christmas every year it seems Um, and it's very easy in light of the weirdness that's going on in our culture commercialism living in the west dealing with family and friends and drama it's easy to become cynical about the holidays during the holidays about our relationships what our status in life is whatever Um, and so we're gonna have an honest conversation about this today Um, we have our producer john here as well as bill and sarah Bess. hey y'all
1: Hey Lisa. Hey. Hi, Lisa.
0: Okay. Good to have you guys here. Now we were laughing beforehand that we didn't just say like let's find the most cynical people to be on this <laughs> <laughs> this round that's table. Right. But um, you know, you guys are all very positive people, I feel, on most things. We try to be. Mostly. Okay, most things. <laughs> but but we do want to talk about cynicism because I feel like I am an I'm a classic optimist. I'm the person that's always optimistic about stuff. But I inevitably walking into different seasons and Christmas kind of in the new year and stuff tends to be one of them. I can easily get discouraged or I build up expectations and then they're always disappointed. You know, like I thought it was going to turn out like this and it didn't. And so I figured I would kind of start, um, start out by asking that question what is something about this time of the year that you always tend to have higher expectations for or you think it's going to work out this way or you're expecting it to happen this way and then it just kind of doesn't and it doesn't have to be a colossal failure or disaster but it's just kind of always that meh for you what uh what comes to mind
2: For me, it's definitely the fact that the season just feels so rushed. Mm -hmm. I sometimes look forward to Christmas thinking, oh, I get time off of work. Oh, I'm going to get to spend time with my family. And now, honestly, it just feels like I'm going, going, going. And honestly, that creates a little bit of disappointment.
0: Yeah,
3: that's good. Yeah, I totally relate to that, John. Um, my family lives across the country and this is like one of maybe two times a year that I go home. And so I always have these great expectations for like, oh, we're going to have this quality time, um, (laughs) with my sisters who I, whom I never get to see. Um, and then in reality, it's like 10 kids are running around. We have eight programmed activities every hour Mm -hmm. and it's just like, it's not super quality time.
0: Yeah. It's like, you're looking, you think it's going to be like out of little women and you're all going to be like around the fire, (laughs) like. <laughs> doing little plays and doing stuff wholesome and activities. then it's like yeah. no yeah <laughs> and then they're like no i just gotta get these kids down for a nap whatever forget it catch you oh, later God. so i don't know bill how about you
4: yeah it's kind of that i i think what sarah best and john said about it's so rushed it's like i try to pack everything in and then you get down to the day after christmas and it's that feeling like oh all the christmas candy's gone and it's just like ah the holidays over and and that for me is where i struggle the most because i have a lot of expectations going in and then afterwards it's it's just that oh, oh that was a thing it's over now mm-hmm. and that i think that's where my frustration comes in
0: yeah yeah i think for me it's it's kind of a combination of all of those in the sense of I actually start in November working a calendar like I'm an air traffic controller. (laughs) And part of that is because I way overcommit. I have too many people I want to catch up with. And it's not like I couldn't catch up with them in February. It's just that, well, no, I need to do holiday things with them. And so it's like, we certainly could do things other times of the year, but now is the holiday time. You know, we're going to do this. And I even um, asked the other day about like, I thought to myself, I had this grand idea of like, you know... I think it's been a year or two since I've been to a craft fair and so then I like put out like what are good craft fairs and I got like 20 suggestions and now I feel this obligation (laughs) of like which craft fair can I go to yeah and it's just like too much and you know some of it is like not even fun or I you know I just end up getting stuck doing stuff Mm -hmm. like to the point where I'm even like why am I even decorating my house because I'm not even home I'm just running (laughs) to all these different activities and I'm just like I I have these ideas of like I'm just going to sit you know at night in front of my tree with a cup of hot chocolate and just reflect on my year and i'm like that never happens (laughs) whatever okay yeah and then you realize
4: it's like i left the lights on and the energy bills are going up merry christmas (laughs) yeah
0: no i do (laughs) exactly so well what have you guys tried in the past to do to like simplify this time of year and has it worked or hasn't worked or is there anything you're going to go after this year instead
3: I had a plan this year for like the gift giving um oh, yeah. formality madness That's big. Um, yeah. so I have Uh, eight nieces and nephews and so I was like hey let's draw names this year Um, but that (laughs) that simple statement um, led to a lot of questions that like were resolved over Marco Polo after like five days uh, (laughs) with like a family Marco Polo group so I can't say it like simplified things but I think it's going to be good like our adults are going to draw names and then all the kids are going to draw names Um, so I'll report back next year but that might help
4: (laughs) My, um, I guess, I guess my family's more cynical about the holidays than I am because, kind of along the gift giving lines, I always forget what I bought, <laughs> and so I'll get down to Christmas <laughs> Eve and go, ah, oh, doggone, it, I know. And in June, I'll pull up, hey, guys, I got you, and they're like, yeah, that was two thousand seven. <laughs> thanks. And and every year, so it's like whatever I plan, I always forget what I picked up.
0: What do you mean? You forget? Like you hide it somewhere and yeah, then you I, don't give I it? I hide people? it and
4: then forget I bought it or forget. <laughs> it. So my okay. kids, I come out in May and like,
0: hey, remember this Hot Wheels set? You know,
4: Dad, I'm in my 20s. You know, like, oh yeah, uh, celebrate and be happy. It's Christmas, you know, in May. Okay. Uh, so yeah, but um,
0: no, that's <laughs> sorry, hilarious. Um, that's great. Yeah.
4: So, uh, but I think too, just trying to set expectations that are real and go purpose of the season is really to celebrate Christ.
2: Mm -hmm. I need to keep my focus on that.
0: Mm -hmm. That's good.
2: Yeah, for sure. Some of my friends really get energized, and it helps them to enjoy the season by going to Christmas parties. Mm -hmm. This is the introvert in me talking. (laughs) Admittedly, sometimes I will politely turn down party invitations just so I can relax if it's been an especially busy week. Okay. So... Obviously, I feel kind of guilty but you, whenever you just, I do like, that. Are you just like turning
0: them down or are you lying about why you can't go? What's your... Oh, it's a little bit of both. Okay. Yeah, if I'm <laughs> okay. if I'm telling the truth, it's
2: honestly sometimes I just need to recharge what, my batteries. Why we have grinch okay. parties where so, people can stay at home by themselves? You
0: can't say you have COVID unless you produce a positive test. Right. <laughs> you that only works sometimes. Yes. <laughs> okay. But,
2: but sometimes just realizing, hey, I've had an especially busy week, yeah. and just going, you know what, I need to take some time to relax or I'm going to burn out by the end of the season and then nobody will want to be around me. Mm -hmm. Just recognizing that and then politely sometimes turning down a party invitation. Actually... Does help. So Lisa, if he doesn't show up to the Boundless party,
4: you'll <laughs> exactly. you'll understand. Yeah,
0: I'll be like, um, okay, John, Thanks, what's up? <laughs> he'll, he'll be like, I just need to pull back from everything Boundless. <laughs> I had to. <code. laughs> <For now."> yeah, <laughs> something. You, me. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. What are the other types of things that you tend to feel cynical towards? I mean, do you? Like, what about, you know, Bill, you alluded to, okay, we should be celebrating Christ and stuff, but do any of us really put a lot of time and attention on that, or do we find that, okay, well, I'm going to go to church services, and so I'll be checking that off, or I'm involved in something, (laughs) or whatever. I mean, I find it really hard to be intentional about the kind of stuff that I want to focus on when there are so many other things pulling at my attention.
4: Yeah, to be really honest, it's kind of that. It's like, oh, it's Christmas Eve, i got to go to church. (laughs) There's this jesus thing Mm -hmm. and it's like oh yeah that's it's hard to um because like you know like john and so there's so much competing things that it's easy to get distracted at least for me and go well christmas is i gotta get a gift and so yeah it really does take being intentional Mm -hmm. and sitting down i don't have a good answer for that to be Mm -hmm. honest
0: yeah it
3: is hard I don't have a great track record. Um, Even last year, someone got me this book on Advent, and at first I was like, okay, I'll take a look at this. Um, Like, this is kind of out of my experience. I haven't, like, really intentionally observed Advent. But a couple weeks into it, I was like, why? are like, why am I even trying? Like, I feel like I cannot redeem Mm -hmm. this season because Mm -hmm. there's so much that I'm just pushing against and, like, so many distractions that are at top of mind. Like, all the consumerism junk and, like, the formality. So... I think like I think it's worth a shot. But last year I really struggled to be mm. like, is this even redeemable?
4: Did you get down to where you missed a day and then you come back the day after and you're like, well... <laughs> Probably
0: yeah, a week. I'll, I'll, a yeah. Week, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
4: it's not worth doing now. Yeah. Uh,
0: well, and it's funny because that's a great example of where when you see what other people are doing on social media yeah. and it seems so meaningful mm. and it seems so when you're like, oh that ship's already sailed, I missed that (laughs) timeline or whatever. And you're like, well, whatever. I felt like that last year, because I felt like in so many things during COVID, I had great routines, I felt like I reclaimed a lot of time, Mm -hmm. obviously, so many things got to be cut out because of that. But then it was like, you would think that would translate into the holidays. But by the time the holidays came, it just became that same old nuttiness. And I was like, hey, why didn't COVID help this? It all of a sudden just became Mm -hmm. a flurry of stuff again and I think at that point you know people we talked about this on Balmas about how the the key word towards the end of COVID became languishing and I think it did just become that point of like okay how many more months do we have to go through protocols Mm -hmm. and new changes and figuring out what's going on at church and elsewhere and yeah it just became um, became kind of weird so um Well, and I think, too, I mean, uh, and then talk about, because, again, I think there are some things that when we talked about expectations, there are certain things that we even remember, say, from childhood that we wish we could reclaim, like, why did it always used to seem so simple or why did this? But then when you grow up and you move away from home and whatever, there are just some things that you have to start letting go of. Or maybe not all the family will come home, you know, for Christmas or In my case, I'm just not, I'm not going to travel this year. And I kind of told my family that because it's super expensive. It's kind of, all of our family are scattered all over. So then I have to pick someone and then it's like, you know, who's going to be offended (laughs) by that and stuff like that and then you have to navigate that drama but it is sad because I remember as a kid just everyone being together and just feeling like oh I had you know the time off from school and it was just easier I mean do you feel nostalgic about certain things
4: yeah I do every year um my my mom and dad one of their best friends couples would come over and my mom and the wife would just cook do candy Hmm. home-baked candy all year and the guys would sit and watch a movie it was just not one of those sexist things it was just this is how we did it and i find sometimes it's like oh i wish we could go back and experience that just it was so so relaxed everybody was having fun Mm -hmm. Um, and i i miss that because i think the pressure is
2: different when you're on your own Mm -hmm. that's true I definitely can get nostalgic sometimes because I still remember when we would be together in our living room and we had a natural fireplace. We didn't have one of those gas fireplaces, Mm -hmm. and I still remember what it felt like for my dad to take the firewood and put it inside the fireplace, and then we'd put on a Christmas movie, and then we... At times, would go out, and we had these traditions of seeing certain Christmas lights in town, and it kind of brought just this warm feeling, Southern hospitality feel (laughs) to it. Um, And so, yeah, I do miss part of that sometimes. Yeah. So wait, you talked about starting fires and leaving the house, and then having (laughs) warm feelings. Can you go into that? Yeah. I mean it, it was part uh-huh. of just being in the deep south. <laughs> Actually it was very down home. Um mm-hmm. we would just we had the fireplace in the living room and then we would go watch Christmas lights. But no we did not burn anybody's house down. <laughs> <it>.
0: Not intentionally. <laughs> not you know, intentionally, yes. From what from what they remember. So, yeah, that's good. Um so what kind of turning a corner, what would you guys say, what are or what do you go back to when you're trying to kind of Turn cynicism around in a sense. Like, what does that look like for you? What helps you focus? What helps you get through the holidays? What helps you to really make them meaningful in spite of, you know, other feelings?
3: Mm-hmm. I think last year, especially, I was tempted to withdraw a little bit. I think just the dynamic of um, coming home after not being home for so long, it was like the longest stretch. Um, and I remember like just making a couple of choices to like take ownership, you um, Like, even I remember I was like, hey, do y'all mind if I make cinnamon rolls on Christmas morning? And I, like, got really excited about it. And it was just, like, a fun thing um, Mm -hmm. that I remember this year. And so I think just, like, choosing to get involved despite being, like, turned off by some of the craziness, um, I think that really helped me. That's good.
2: Two things that really stand out to me. I know that this is kind of the standard Christian answer, but it's still very powerful is to reread the Christmas story Mm -hmm. and to remember why Jesus came and that this is a time for us to reflect on the fact that he came into a messy world Mm -hmm. in a messy barn in a messy cave and he did it because he loved us and wanted to save us Mm -hmm. and that's why we have the Christmas season it's not about the commercialization of it it's about reflecting on the fact that we have hope in Christ and If anybody hasn't seen the movie It's a Wonderful Life, I'd highly recommend it because it's about a guy who's felt kind of cynical about where he's at, but then at Christmas he regains hope. Mm -hmm. And that one is always kind of an inspiring way to end the year for me because I remember, hey, life actually is much more beautiful than we can see sometimes. That's good. I feel bad going after John now (laughs) because it should be the capstone. Um, I think for me,
4: one thing I've been learning this year Um, kind of coming out of the pandemic is just simplifying things. Um, and as much as I can, I mean, I know my family has other things, but as much as I can clear my desk or clear my plate, I'd like to do that and just simplify this year.
0: Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah, I think for me, two things that come to mind are weird. They're like weird practical things. One is to always have something fun planned for after the new year. So just to even if like mm -hmm. December just goes, you know, devolves into this big mess, (laughs) which I feel like sometimes (laughs) it does with all my expectations and whatever. Then I know like, okay. I always get excited about a new year. I feel like it's a fresh start and I feel I'm way into goals and all that kind of stuff. You know, whether I keep them or not, I like to come up with them.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, But
0: just having something fun to look forward to that might be a short trip or it might be just getting together with friends or something like that that I put on the calendar. And the other thing is that has really helped me, which kind of, you know, I I don't want to sound too spiritual. This kind of, um, I stumbled upon doing this and it's really been meaningful to me, is really, finding people that I can bless and look out for over the holidays. So whether that's my neighbor Beanie, who's 96, who I talk about all the time, or my neighbor Sue, who I've been able to kind of get to know and and bless her. I mean, just looking for people that I know are going to be lonely over the holidays Mm because either they can't travel or maybe they're just in my neighborhood and they have no spiritual connection to anything, to kind of find little ways to be like, hey, you're seeing... And I want to bless you and maybe we can get to know one another or just here's something to brighten your day and remind you, um, you know, of why this season mm-hmm. matters and stuff. And that's something fun for me to put some intentionality toward and and think through. It's always a fun thing to to do when I can. So. um All right. Well, any other ideas, either things to do or things not to do that you guys would say are your top recommendations for clearing the clutter out of the holidays, keeping yourself from being cynical? (laughs) I'm going to weigh in on the not do because I've already done it five times. Okay. I get caught up and I don't know. I don't even know if it's making me cynical because I actually like doing it, but I've probably read through at least Five top 25 gift lists right now. I've read Amazons. I've read <laughs> <laughs> Real Simples. I've read, I just get caught up in them. And it does, it kind of gives you that like FOMO slash like envy of like, Why does this person get a $275 robe, you know, like, I want to buy that for myself, whatever. And then I'm just all like, (laughs) (laughs) right, but I just need it. I just want to have it, whatever. But um, it is weird. You can get into a weird rabbit hole of, you know, angst over that. But I would say maybe don't do that if you are tempted to buy everything or be angry that you can't buy everything.
3: I love your idea of planning something for after Christmas because even, like, the day before Christmas, I yeah. start thinking, like, it is all downhill from here. Like, I said, like it's not yeah. even over yeah. yet. Um, so I think I'm going to try that this year. Um, maybe a trip to Hawaii. <laughs> there you
4: go. That sounds good. I'm going to try to remember where I hide gifts yeah. That's <laughs> good. my family yeah. this
0: You year. need to start doing that now. Until, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like <laughs> not in May, not in December 25th. All right, all okay. right. Okay, sounds like a good plan.
2: Yep. I'm a big fan of music, mm. and so I sometimes find that listening to Christmas music does help me to enjoy the season more. But disclaimer, when you're listening to Christmas music in public, be sensitive to those around you, because if we're very honest, some Christmas music is pretty annoying. Yes. So ask people, are you okay with me playing this yeah, certain song? Yeah, don't play song? that Paul McCartney Christmas song. Oh, that says no. the yeah. same phrase over, yeah. over. I, I completely
5: agree. <laughs> yeah. Then Is we'll talk. I, I song? do. Oh,
0: yeah. Oh. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, but so you're saying that I need to get my Christmas playlist together now. See, again, that's a preparation mm-hmm. thing because this morning, coming to work, Um, basically what came up was the black eyed peas. So that is
5: is not very festive,
0: (laughs) not super festive. So I need to work on my Christmas playlist and work on that. That's good. Okay. Well, you guys, great ideas. This is super fun. And hopefully those of you listening can be encouraged that, uh, We're all trending sometimes towards being a little cynical, but uh, hopefully with friends and family and ultimately, as Bill reminded us, uh, reminding ourselves that, wow, there are great, great reasons why we celebrate Christmas. And the primary one is the person of Jesus Christ. So uh, hopefully we can all focus on that this year as well. Folks, we are back. Uh, We're here for this week's culture segment. And by being back, I mean with part two of what we started last week with David Marvin around his book, We're All Freaking Out and why we don't need to. Uh, David is now Young Adults Director and one of the teachers at The Porch, uh, the Young Adults Ministry of Watermark Community Church there in Dallas, which is just such a great ministry for young adults just like yourself. If you're in Dallas, check it out. If you're not, there are so many other ways that you can access great resources that The Porch has, and we will make those available. um, You'll see them in the descriptors of this week's episode. And so make sure you check it out. A lot going on there. So, David, welcome back to The Boundless Show.
6: Yes, thank you for having me. So uh-huh. fun to be back and, and excited to continue the discussion.
0: Awesome. Okay, well, I'm assuming everyone who listened last week is, has now completely dealt with all of their anxiety, and they're totally good to go. So they probably they probably don't yeah. need this week, you know, but they're going to do it and just encourage their friends, whatever. So. <laughs> Yeah, right. Um, yeah. I I feel like, I don't know, I feel like any given day I could have more things that I'm getting anxious about. We'll see how this plays out. Um, Man. But I promised folks last week that we had talked a little bit about, about Matthew 6 and really what Scripture has to say about anxiety and fear and the worries of the world and whatnot, and uh, the fact that Really, Jesus is the solution, and we need to avail ourselves of what is promised in Scripture. So let's talk about that, because I think straight up, some people, well-meaning people, when we bring to them, and this is, you know, we we ended last week by talking about community, and sometimes you, yeah. you venture something forth, hoping a person is safe, like, I'm going to share this, and then we hear something like, well, just stop being anxious, you know, or just, yeah. why are you worrying? Don't you even trust God? Just pray about it. And you know, people make those statements saying that they're true and biblical, but they're kind of a little bit twisting it. Talk to us a little bit about that, about where they're getting it wrong.
6: Yeah, I think this is such a huge issue and really a passion point for me is the reason often Christians don't turn to the Bible is they have either been told or they read and misunderstood what the Bible teaches on anxiety. So they assume, just like a friend telling them, when they're anxious or they're worried or they're overwhelmed, somebody's saying, well, just stop. That doesn't help. It's not helpful. If they could just stop, they would have already. And then they read Bible Bible verses, and they assume that God is saying, well, just stop, or the church "Just had more faith, or you just trusted more, then you wouldn't be anxious, which is not what the Bible teaches, and it's not helpful, and it's candidly, I think, unbiblical. And the reason I say that is to use one example uh, of a misunderstood teaching on anxiety. Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul writes a really famous verse, and and he mentions anxiety and he mentions prayer, and he says in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, the average person reads that, and they think Paul just said, hey, don't ever be anxious, just pray. And if you're anything like me, you go, well, Paul, I, I prayed, and I'm still anxious. And I prayed when I was anxious, and it didn't make it go away. And so I, you clearly are Superman, and that doesn't apply to me, which is not an accurate application of what Paul is saying. Here's why I say that. When Paul says do not be anxious about anything, he uses the Greek word merim now. The New Testament was written in Greek originally. And the Greek word merim now is synonymous or a synonym with meditation. In other words, Paul is not saying, never thought just pray. That's impossible. What Paul is saying is, do not meditate on fearful and anxious thoughts when they come. That is possible. Rather, pray and bring those requests or bring those things to God. And now, understanding that, so he's saying meditate, don't meditate. And who would disagree with that? Like, whose life got, you know, I've never heard the story— i doing ministry the last 12 years. As Sony said, you know what really changed my life for the better? I started meditating every morning on everything possible that could go bad that day. You know, I could get hit by an asteroid. My mom could pass away. Like, and life's been amazing ever since I started meditating on fearful thoughts. No, we'd all say that's crazy. That's never helpful. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, not nope, meditate on those thoughts. And then in verses 8 and 9, it makes sense of why. Paul then immediately after those verses says, finally, brothers, meditate on whatever is true and lovely and noble and worthy of praise. Think about those things. So he says, don't meditate, don't dwell on, don't fixate on everything you could be anxious about. Rather, pray to God about those things and meditate on what is true. And that's one example of, I think, where people misunderstand and they think the Bible just said, don't worry, just pray. And Paul is saying, no, don't meditate on those spiritual thoughts, bring them to God and meditate on what is true.
0: Yeah, that's so good. And it's it's very similar to, you know, when people talk about sin the whole idea of the struggle of sin versus what are we doing to encourage and coddle sin and all that and that's exactly it i mean it's like you can't you can't uh ward off there's no magic pill to never be tempted um but but definitely where you go from there you know the scripture has a lot to say about that and i see you know we we know that you know we're not supposed to fear and i like that nuance to it of the idea of like yeah where are you going with that? What are you choosing to do with the fear and the anxiety when it comes? That's really helpful. Um, Okay, well, let's turn a corner into a few common areas of anxiety and fear. And the first one, of course, is in in terms of relationships, specifically dating, wanting marriage, trusting God with marriage. Um, Because I know personally, David, I had a long season, and maybe sometimes I still go back to this season. (laughs) Where I'm like, um, God, hello. I feel like I'm serving you, and I feel like yeah. you know I just walked the straight and narrow. So, shouldn't I be getting married by now? And shouldn't it be to someone who's um, godly and, quite frankly, kind of hot as well? And so, yeah. where where are you delivering on this? Uh, so, talk to us. I, I like what you say in the book related to this because there's there's so many great principles about you know being ready but being open handed in this. So why, why are there so many sources of anxiety around the search for a mate?
6: Yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of reasons behind that. I mean, some of it is um, generations that had a lot of parents, where they saw their parents marry someone that they ended up divorcing from. And so there's a lot of fear that I don't want to repeat kind of the past and those relationships. And there's a lot of fear over whether this is the right person. I think, honestly, one of the biggest factors is there has not been helpful Um, guides that have come along to teach people who to be and who to look for and which is basically another way of saying nobody's telling people how to date or the sources that are are coming from the world from hollywood which are not helpful and lead to the type of results you see from hollywood if you will i say in the book that you know it's around age of 15 that most people take a driver's ed class and they do that because society knows if you're going to get behind the wheel of a car There's a lot of risk, both to yourself and others. And so we're going to make sure you at least pass some sort of standard test to prevent you from getting in a car wreck as best we can. So you got to go to driver's ed. It's also around the age of 15 that you're coming out of puberty, and most of us are oftentimes, people are introduced to dating, romance, they kind of have the first uh, relationships, or sometime after that, the first dating relationship that they have, only there's no dater's ed. The people instructing us on how to date are either not great at it themselves because they're just our you know fellow classmates or you know maybe a year older than, than us in school, or it's the world and music and entertainment industry. And so we learn how to do that, and then nobody ever changes. They're oftentimes the same way you dated when you were 16, the same way you're dating at 28, and it's not in line with what the Bible says. So I think a key to experiencing peace with romance and, and your dating life is taking the principles from God's Word on who to look for, the type of spouse, because God doesn't talk about dating directly because it wasn't around back then, but it talks a lot about decision-making, which is evaluating, is this person the right one? It talks a lot about marriage, talks a lot about the type of spouse to look for, and it talks a lot about personal character. And so I think when you begin to apply those things, you begin to gain confidence that, hey, this is the type of per- the person I'm dating is or is not the type of person God would say would make a great spouse. And so I begin to look at the character qualities in the Proverbs and even in the New Testament that the Bible teaches, hey, this is the type of person you can look for. And you may still have some anxious feelings, but you can at least go in confidently saying, this person is not a perfect person, just like I'm not perfect, but they have the character qualities that God tells me to look for. Versus looking for just, you know, all these cultural cliches that are not true and not act like, hey, just find your soulmate or find the one. When there is no the one you were you were made for God and I was too. We all were. We weren't made just for another person to perfectly complete us. And so when I don't buy that lie but I go I'm looking for not the one, but I'm looking for someone that has these character qualities that says is the type of person to marry, I'm gonna have a lot more peace about that relationship moving forward.
0: And uh, just folks who are listening, just so you know, you may be like, hey, why does this sound like a little bit familiar? That is because at Boundless this week on Monday, we published an excerpt from the book uh, specifically on this topic of the one. So check that out. If you haven't already gone to Boundless, boundless.org, um, you will see it's our feature article for this week. And so if you're like, hey, i was spoken around on Boundless and I saw something about the one that is from this book, we're all freaking out. So check Check it out and you'll get more information related to uh, what David's talking about. All right, let's turn into, uh, let's talk a little bit about career because one of the things that you say about career, again, very angsty subject, very like I just paid a truckload of money for a four-year degree, maybe a master's uh, in the fabulous subject of French history and why is no one hiring me? Um, And one of the things that you say specifically is this idea, which again, this is so being sold to millennials and now Gen Z, this idea of like, everyone needs to be following our passion. And if you're not doing something that you're 100% passionate about, then your life is worthless and you need to quit your job and find your passion. Uh, But you're saying that's bad
6: advice. Yes. Well, it's certainly not biblical advice, at least, you know, and uh, it's a phrase that interestingly, not been around that long. And, you know, if you do studies, even on, you know, a Google search, you can uh, – I didn't realize this until we did it. You can actually search all of, like, English literature, and kind of one phrase was common, introduced, and how it was used. And that was a phrase that, you know, prior to 1980 was very minimally used. And then something happened in the 80s and 90s, and by the mid-2000s, there was a huge spike where it was being used, that follow your passion was all over in literature and what people were writing about, people were saying, and people were telling people to do. So this generation was raised on, like you said, hey, follow your passion. Follow. And the reason that's bad advice is because the Bible teaches us, man, that following your passion is we're not supposed to follow passions, we're to crucify them. And I know when people mean that, they just mean, hey, follow a job that you like. But we really are supposed to follow Jesus, knowing that our passions – and the things that we're interested in, they're going to change based on life stage and the things you're passionate about today may not be the same tomorrow. And so looking for constantly emotions to confirm, yes, this is exactly what I'm supposed to do. I think the same thing in dating as the guy who's like, hey, my emotions are always telling me that this is the perfect person. Emotions change over time. They change with every season. They change just in general. And so that's a bad way to look at it. And we know that work, I love my job. But there's days in every job, it's a job, and you got to do hard work. And so I think rather looking for um, opportunities to do what God says work is for, which is to provide for ourselves, to provide for our families, to point other people to Jesus, to be a light in dark places, to provide for those who are in need. That comes right out of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. And um, so work is to be a source of provision in our life, and a place where we can promote the relationship with Christ that we have in our life.
0: Yeah, that's so good. And I, I think also, you know, it's it, it is so true, because again, we focus so much on I have to be doing something. I mean, it, you know, young adults in particular are not, it seems as tied to the status, the, you know, position or whatever it really is around this idea of like, am I being fulfilled? And I think that plays into another myth of like, you know, again, fulfillment, where are you getting your fulfillment from? Because it's starting to tread dangerously close to an idolatry. If you You're looking for that anywhere outside of Jesus Christ. And so that's a good point. Um, So speaking of idols, let's uh, finally here (laughs) talk about money. Um, Because again, you know, this is something that, you know, the the average person listening maybe is like, oh, you know, well, I don't even make a lot of money. So no big deal. That's not a problem for me. But we start looking at when you apply like, well, maybe being comfortable or maybe having the latest iPhone or maybe it's uh, around – Um, a little aspect of, and this could uh, tread into passion too, fame or prominence or influence, you know, like, well, if I could just maybe get this gaming uh, YouTube channel under control, then that's what I could do. And that's who I could be. Yep. But um, you actually you actually drive uh, through a, a few myths, five myths in the book about money that I think are great. Maybe give us a, a little taste of a few of those, David, and, and why they're so sneaky, particularly with 20 and 30 somethings.
6: Yeah, you know, you hit it. And um, just a punctuate something that you just said, we can often think, oh, you know, I don't have much money. And the reality is you can be anxious. The anxiety you feel financially or financial anxiety has nothing to do with the amount that you make. And the reason I say that is America is by far the most anxious in, in terms of all the studies that are done, the anxiety levels, even the uh, anxiety, anti-anxiety medication are significantly higher than the rest of the world. And America is the wealthiest country on the planet. So you have the wealthiest country and the most anxious country on the planet. So it doesn't have to do with how much you make. It rather has to do with the truth and whether you're believing lies as it relates to money. And so a couple of the myths that I walk through is these things that we're just taught unintentionally, or maybe our parents even intentionally taught them. And so examples of that would be like, hey, money brings security. If you have money financial security, then you will be okay no matter if the economy tanks, no matter if the pandemic hits. As long as you have money, you'll have a source of security. And the Bible teaches that's a recipe for being anxious, because you're looking to this thing that is fleeting as a source of security, rather than looking to God saying, man, I may have enough, I may not, but God has got me. He's in control. He's promised to provide for me. I don't look to money to be my source of security." Another example would be money brings happiness. If you believe that money brings happiness, you're going to be anxious. You're going to experience anxiety because you're going to be concerned over, well, if I don't have more money, then I'm not going to be happy. And by getting more money, I will be more happy. And Jesus in Luke 12 says, no, life does not consist in the abundance of money, or life has nothing to do with how much money you have. And... Uh, you know, even studies, there's a famous study done that concluded the increasing salary has no relationship to satisfaction in someone's life. I believe it's after almost like 70 grand that there's no relationship. And that, that applies for everywhere. That includes the person in New York or the person in rural. It's kind of an average. And it basically concludes even psychology or sociology, the world is saying, oh, it turns out there's not a relationship between how much someone makes and how much happiness or satisfaction they have in life. But if we're not careful and we believe that or we don't understand that, then we can think, oh, money makes us happy. And then I walk through a a few more that are related to myths of, man, I don't make enough and just addressing that idea of if only I made more, if only I made more, which further will fuel anxiety. And then the idea that this money is my money when the Bible says, no, everything is God's and everything that we have is to be stewarded And if I believe that it's all mine and it's focused on me, that's going to create angst and anxiety too. And then the final one, and and I know we don't have time to go into all of these in depth, but hey, life is about getting as much as you can, that I need to make more and more money. And if I think of life like it's a game of Monopoly versus the game of, you know, which Monopoly is the game that get as much as you can, then I'm going to be constantly focused on getting more and I'll never have enough and That is a recipe for anxiety. And so the chapter on anxiety is just walking through how you actually live out the American motto, which is not in money we trust. It is in God we trust. And it's not bad to have money. It's not bad to have a lot of money. It's not bad to have a little bit of money. But it is bad to have money have a grip on your heart and fuel your anxiety. And it doesn't have to be that way.
0: Well, there's so much more here, and, and as David said, you know we, we're out of time, but I want to remind everyone that, as we said last week, the book is We're All Freaking Out and Why We Don't Need To. Uh, we want to make this book available to you for a gift of any amount to Boundless, so go to boundless.org, and you'll see the book there. Just click on it, give a gift to Boundless. We're in our year-end giving campaign for all the great stuff that you already love Boundless for, and uh, we will send David's book as our thank you to you, and so So again, we're all freaking out why we don't need to. Uh, This book can get into your hands and maybe you can uh, pass it on to a friend or get a copy for a friend, uh, read it with a group of friends and and talk about and support one another in this, uh, in your desire to uh, not just stop being anxious, but instead not dwell on anxiety, but instead turn to Jesus Christ who has the answers for us uh, in the day to day concerns that we are experiencing. David, I think it would be really helpful as we just finish out, if you would be willing to just pray for the folks that are listening, that person who's maybe just on a run right now listening to this, maybe they're in their car, maybe they're just listening at work or whatever, and they're like, this is me, and I don't know how to, I'm I'm afraid, I'm anxious about turning this over to the Lord. I don't even, maybe I don't trust him, or maybe I don't trust my situation to him. If you'd be willing to pray us out, we'd really appreciate it.
6: I'd be honored. Father, I do pray for anybody listening right now, wherever they are, that you, especially with those who are feeling anxious or overwhelmed or, you know, an hour after this is over, they go back to life and they go back to their work or they go back to whatever they have in front of them and they feel anxiety or angst, that you would allow them to turn to you, to bring those to you in prayer, to open their mouth and talk to other people about where they're struggling and where they're anxious. I pray that you would be more real, and more bigger in their mind and life than the fear, that you would be bigger than the anxiety, that their awareness of you and your presence and your nearness and your love would overshadow their worries and their fears, and they would tangibly experience just your presence and the reality that you're with them, you'll never forsake them, you love them, you promise promised to provide for them, and you did that ultimately by providing the means by which we can have eternal life by dying on the cross for all of our sins so we could be with you for forever and so I pray that you would meet them right now where they are and their hearts would experience peace beyond understanding in other words peace beyond even their ability to express or communicate to others that it would just mark their hearts and their lives in Christ Jesus so we love you thank you for all that you are doing in our lives in Christ's name we pray Amen
0: Amen Well, folks, as we finish out the show, we always open up our inbox where we answer a listener question. And today is no exception. And often we like to bring in our licensed professional counselors here at Focus on the Family to answer your questions, uh, especially in the case of one today, because it's going to be on the topic of anxiety. And so we have got counselor Easton Coleman here. Hey, Easton. Hi, Lisa. Good to have you. Thank you. All right. Well, let me go ahead and read the question and I'm going to let you answer for our listener. Um, our person says, I've been working in a stressful job situation as an ICU nurse for a year. My work often leaves me anxious, and I wonder if I'm really cut out for it. However, I don't like change, and it stresses me out to think about learning a new position. I know God calls us to challenging situations and uses them to help us grow. My anxiety's gotten better over the last year, and my confidence has grown, but I still don't know if I'll ever be able to work in this position and still have decent mental health. How do I know if I've given a position enough? of a try and if it's time to move on, or if God's calling me to stick it out and grow through it.
1: Yeah, so um, first of all, I want to applaud um, this person for uh, spending so much time thinking soundly about this issue and not doing anything impulsively. Um, it's clear that a lot of work has already been done to kind of move to this place, which is, okay, I've tried this, I'm feeling a little better, um, but I still don't know when is it time to move. And so I, you know, I would look at this situation at a granular level. And so analyzing what is of the Lord and what is of myself, and then determining uh, versus process, determining what is my identity. And so who am I in the Lord and what am I called to do? And from there, uh, one of the things I've done is I've created a, a mission statement at one point in my life before I even got into counseling. And so the idea here was that, if I can get a hold of who God has made me to be, then I can move into process and I can uh, discern if something really fits with who I am and and then make a decision based upon my identity. And so I think it's important when we're thinking about decisions like this with career to really discern what does God want me to do? What is God calling me to do? And obviously this person is is pursuing that answer. And I think when we're making decisions uh, about career, uh, things like this, it's important not to act until I think we have a sense of peace, a sense of stability and the confusion and the discomfort is kind of alleviated to the extent that I'm sure, I'm sure about the decision I'm about to make.
5: Hmm.
1: I can say that, you know, as a mental health counselor, I've thought the same thing and uh, I can say that there was a time where I was working in a specific mental health setting um, that I knew I wasn't going to be able to sustain my mental health and do that job well. Um, and so I kept looking and kept seeking and kept searching, um, of course, at at the leading of, of the Spirit of, of the Lord. But I think there are different areas within this profession of, of nursing that may be better fit. And so I think it's okay to give yourself the space to question is this where I want to be long-term? And I think we can trust the verification of our of our sense about something. If I'm feeling unsteady, if I'm feeling uh, like I'm being drained, you know, there's an intersection between what I'm good at and it giving me energy. And there are some things that we are good at that make us feel horrible. And those aren't necessarily the things I think God has called us to in terms of our day-to-day profession. I think the Lord has made us to desire uh, to do things that also give us energy and don't drive us to come home in a bad place. And so I think, again, I think this is just a a wonderful example of someone really seeking to get down to the bottom of what's going on and, and being authentic about how you feel and continuing to allow the process of searching to take place at the leading of the Holy Spirit.
0: Yeah, good point. I think too, you know, like what you're saying about the leading of the Holy Spirit, just great also to obviously be prayerful about this situation, maybe get some good counsel from friends and family members who know you and love you and could help you maybe process some of this, get avail yourself of of some of the things that might be good to look over. Because again, I mean, it's ICU nurse. I mean, that's no joke. I mean, this is a stressful profession as it is, and I like your idea, Easton, that maybe nursing is it, but maybe just a different department. Maybe God can lead you to use your skills somewhere else, whatever that looks like. Um, The good news is we can trust him to guide us in all that. So I appreciate you weighing in on that. All right, folks. Well, that is it for this week's show. As always, we definitely want to hear from you here at Boundless. Um, certainly with, you know, this might be something that you've struggled with in the past related to your career, and there's just a lot of nuance to it as far as individual decisions that have to be made and how we trust God in the midst of the process. So uh, do find us at Boundless. You can either write to us at editor at boundless.org or find us on social, where we will uh, be happy to engage in this conversation with you because we love of doing that as a community. Remember too that we have a team of counselors here at Focus on the Family and Boundless who can help you um, with an initial consultation to start moving through these issues, and even maybe give a referral in your local area, give you some great resource ideas, and that all can be found by calling one eight hundred the letter A and the word family. You can certainly go to focusonthefamily.com slash mental health as well to find out our resources and what we have to offer. So, folks, that is it for this week's show. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show.
4: The Boundless Show is a production of boundless.org.
5: Focus on the family.